the pen is mightier than the sword. My tagline is your voice heard through the written word. That is what I love to provide for my clients, content writing, blog writing, and other social media or marketing initiatives they need in the written word to promote what makes them better and different from others in their profession. Creating a robust narrative that fully captures their why has everything to do with the content that promotes their brand image and area of expertise. From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's the Communication Commandments, a presentation of Boston Edits. Now here's your host, Kim Calvi. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this segment of Communication Commandments. Joining us today, we have a returning guest, attorney John Hallaby of Hallaby Law Group, who will spend time with us this morning sharing us sharing with us in more detail what his law practice is known for, how that service benefits his clients, and what makes his expertise better and different from others in the same practice area. So let's launch right into it. John, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, David, and good morning, Kim. Thank you for having me as well. So glad that you're back. So now the last time that you visited us, you had mentioned briefly that using the services of experts is an important component of preparing for litigation. Would you mind elaborating on that aspect of the process and the depth of what value they bring to the outcome? Like what types of experts, I know besides medical, have you needed to handle a case like accident reconstruction, vocational experts? There, there, I'm sure there's probably a whole Rolodex full of names you have from different types of experts that you've that you needed to bring into a case. Sure. So experts have become more and more critical to the litigation process in terms of establishing who's going to be responsible for a particular claim that a plaintiff is bringing in a lawsuit. They're also relevant to questions of damages. In other words, what's the value of the case if there is some responsibility by somebody to pay the damages? They're also relevant to tangential factors, things like what kind of observation might somebody be given credence to if they're an important witness to an event. So all types of areas we need to have experts. And if the case warrants it in terms of the dollar value, because the amount of money that can be expended on experts can get pretty large. But if it's a matter that we are within the purview of somebody who's going to be issuing opinions along those lines, and there's enough money to be had in the dispute, they're definitely a critical component of allowing the fact finder to discover who may be responsible and what the amount is in a particular dispute. Okay, interesting. So now, so when a client comes to you and they have a case, you immediately, I'm guessing, probably look at, you know, assess their case and probably this, that factors in, okay, what kind of an expert am I going to need to bring in, if at all? And do you tell them that up front, or is it one of those things that kind of evolves as the case goes on? Is there a particular formula to bring in an expert like that, deciding to bring in an expert, or is yeah, things that's a, develop? That's a good question. So if you're representing a plaintiff in a case, before you file the lawsuit, and you have to do it by the applicable statute of limitations, and you don't always wait that long, but that's the deadline by which you have to do something. But in the time periods before that is when you're sort of getting things at, together. So you're gathering facts, you're determining responsibility, you're talking to relevant people, uh, a lot of document gathering, things like that, but also possibly looking at the need for experts and maybe getting those in line. So when it's time to actually file the suit or make a presentation on, say, an insurance company or whoever's going to be responsible for the claim that you're making, you're hitting the ground running. So it's very possible that you might need to have your experts before you even file litigation. 
and those types of experts. You mentioned medical. Now, if it's a matter involving uh, personal injury, you're often going to need a medical expert. And the reason why you're going to need somebody like that is if somebody's in a loss, they're going to have obviously damages that you're bringing uh, a claim for monetary redress for. You're going to want to look at things like how bad is this person injured? What is the cause of that injury? And what's the future prognosis and the possible residual limitations? And these are things that a treating physician might be able to weigh in on a little bit, but you're going to have to bring them outside of the normal physician-patient relationship in order to bring those particular questions out from the person. So let's say somebody is in an auto crash and they have a fractured ankle and that's still causing them problems a year and a half after the accident mm-hmm. and it's impacted their ability to go to work and they have a work a uh, particular occupation where that is needed to, you know, fulfill their nature of their duties. Mm-hmm. And they're treated by a physician and the physician renders the care and treatment, bills the patient. But you really need to have somebody say, okay, this problem is from the accident and not just in the acute phase, but still a year and a half later. And how that particular injury is impacting the person's activities of daily living is one, two, three, and four. Mm-hmm. And that's a type of thing that a treating physician's not always going to put in the notes. You're going to have to have a specific narrative explaining those things. And then the inability, say, to carry on the nature of the duties of the person's occupation is something that you're going to need to have the physician state. And the physician could say, well, it's my understanding the job, the person's occupation involves A, B, C, and D. And mm-hmm. this is what they can't do. And here's why from an orthopedic or a neurologic standpoint. So that's, you know, one example of why you need an expert in a case involving uh, personal injury in that example. And also the fact that you might want to have somebody lined up before you even file the lawsuit. So when you file it, you have the narrative of that physician already ready, you presented it, and the the party looking at your claim is going to decide whether or not they want to settle it or challenge the expert's opinions. And now they're sort of on the defense trying to figure out how to combat the evidence you've already put together. Interesting. Okay. And so that's personal injury, but I mean, there are other types of experts that you've needed to bring into other types of cases, right? Like I know you and I had spoken before and you had mentioned, you know, engineers, sometimes law professors, Professors, you know, accident reconstruction. I thought that was interesting. It would seem to me like accident reconstruction might be one of those things where if somebody's injured in a car accident, okay, there's personal injury, but if the accident reconstruction might have to, that particular specialist might have to be brought in for that case as well, not just the orthopedic doctor or orthopedic surgeon. Is that correct? Is that fair to say too? Yeah, absolutely. So again, if we're talking about auto loss matters, Accident Mm -hmm. reconstruction experts can be very critical. You might have a claim where, let's say, you're the plaintiff and you're claiming that somebody else was at fault for the accident. They're going too fast, not paying uh, attention to conditions, or they went through red light. And there's a dispute as to exactly what happened because there's, you know, competing sides of the story regarding who hit who and how and how fast everyone's going and which way they're turning and things like that. So accident reconstruction experts are useful for recreating exactly what happened. And what they do is they look at things like uh, roadway skid marks. They look at the nature of the damage to the vehicles, the location of the damage. They take in witness accounts, not just from the parties in the accident, but third parties who may may have observed what happened. Now there's black box data in vehicles that represent speeds of the vehicles at various points up until the time of the crash. And that can be useful in looking at how fast somebody's going or how quickly they 
were breaking. They also take in opinions of law enforcement at the scene to the extent those individuals who responded to the accident are trained in some degree of accident reconstruction. So they look at police reports, they look at operators' reports. And then if it goes to litigation, if a case leads to a lawsuit, those involved in the accident and these witnesses are subject to deposition. And when you undergo a deposition, very detailed questions are asked regarding everything that was observed, and that's taken in by the expert. Now, at the end of the day, the expert reviews that, issues opinions with regard to who may have been at fault, if there's competing reasons, what those competing reasons are. And that can be a very powerful witness on your behalf if you've hired somebody to do that. And they issue opinions that the other side is at fault and they're responsible for the loss. Oh, wow. Okay. So this has a huge impact. It can. Yeah, absolutely. Over every detail. Wow. Okay. Now, here's a kind of a minor question about acting accident reconstruction, because I've never even heard of that term like ever. And so it just, I don't know, it just seems very intriguing to me. But can can accident reconstruction experts also be brought in like on workplace accidents where somebody sustains an injury in their workplace? Or is that, is is there somebody else who does that? Or is that a taboo? That's a no-no? You know, accident, is accident reconstruction just limited to car accidents or? Car accidents, usually accidents involving machinery. Uh, airplane losses, uh, air aviation losses, things like that. Now, if you're injured in the workplace and there's a question of whether or not you are in the course and scope of your job duties, bringing, and that's relevant if you're making a workers' compensation claim and you're seeking benefits under the comp scheme, if you're in the work course and scope of employment, you're going to get covered. If you're not, you're not going to get covered. Yeah, you, you could probably hire an expert for the purpose of deciding what was going on at the particular moment of the loss to sort of answer that question. But accident reconstruction experts are usually involved in things involving, as I say, aviation or auto losses, l- large scale mm-hmm. loss, maybe like train accidents, things of that nature. Okay. All right. Okay. Very good. So transportation, basically. And so now one of the main points that we discussed from your last podcast was that you've represented both sides of the table with insurance claims, which I found really intriguing because it doesn't seem like a lot of attorneys do that. They're either on the plaintiff's side or they're, they are you know defense litigation. And more specifically, there's a distinction between first and third party insurance claims that you had talked a little bit about before. And I wanted to see if we could delve into that a little bit further, because it doesn't sound like that's an intuitive scenario that most people would be aware of. So can you please explain what that means for our listeners? Sure. So we were talking about personal injury cases, and those uh, are really cases involving alleged negligence. And there's often insurance coverage for those losses, but they're really not insurance cases. So separate and apart from those personal injury matters are insurance disputes. So sometimes there's some relatedness, but they are actually two different areas of the law and two different types of cases. So insurance disputes involve when there is an insurance covered event or potentially covered event, Mm -hmm. what an insurance company has to do to respond to that event and the extent of the insurance company's obligations. So, for example, just flowing from this auto loss scenario that we've been referencing, mm-hmm. an example could be if there is an accident and the party that allegedly caused the accident looks to their insurance company to provide a defense, meaning a lawyer to give a representation in front of the court, and then mm-hmm. also to settle the case to provide indemnity which means pay for the value of this plaintiff's claim. Or if we go through a trial and the jury decides it's worth X, pay that award. That's a totally different ball of wax because that's governed by the insurance policy itself. 
and applicable law, typically state law. Insurance covered events include things like negligence in the third party context. So third party is you protect me from what I did. So if I'm a business owner and maybe I didn't clear snow adequately, somebody fell and was injured and is alleging that I failed to clear the snow, then, and I get sued for that. I look to my insurance policy. That would be a business policy to give third-party protection under the liability uh, portion of the coverages. First-party claim is where the policyholder himself or herself or the business didn't hurt anybody else, so to speak, didn't act negligently to the third world or the outside world, allegedly, but instead Mm -hmm. suffered a loss. And now is looking for protection under its own insurance company. So let's say there was uh, a pipe break and that led to water being infiltrated into a business suite within a building and the computers were damaged. Everybody had to be sent home for a week, things of that nature. And now the business is out some money because of lost revenue and some property damage, and they make a claim with their insurance company. Then that's an example of a first party claim. Now, experts can be used in either one of those scenarios. The accident reconstruction and the medical experts are more often in the third party claims. First party claims, you'll have somebody like an insurance expert. So that's a claims handling expert. Mm -hmm. Okay. What that will involve is, let's say I've made a claim with my insurance company because our business suffered a loss after a pipe burst. And the insurance company does not believe that the loss was not our fault. In other words, we had, let's say we had control over the heat and we failed to maintain heat in the building allegedly. And insurance policy has a condition that if you fail to maintain heat, that provides an exclusion for coverage. So we don't have to protect you. And then my position is actually we did. And here's why, because we check it every day and et cetera, et cetera. And they say, no, we don't believe you did that. So the facts are, Uh, investigated surrounding who did what. And let's say that the fire department had to come out. They're going to write a report. They're going to take statements of witnesses. They're going to talk to me. And there is a provision in an insurance policy whereby a policyholder seeking protection under the policy can be examined by a lawyer hired by the insurance company. And that's called an examination under oath. That's a process that might be utilized by an insurance company if the loss is big enough and they're questioning the story of the policyholder enough. So let's say I'm subject to that. I answer all their questions and that's under Mm -hmm. oath and that's resulted in a produced transcript. That's reviewed. And at the end of the day, the insurance company maintains its position that the exclusion applies and I claim that it does not and a lawsuit ensues. Then Mm -hmm. an insurance claim handling expert might be hired, not just to say really who's right, but more whether the insurance company engaged in proper investigation and application of the law before it's made its decision. And then once it did make the decision, whether maintaining that decision is appropriate under the law and uh, reasonable claim handling standards. So in other words, let's say there's some evidence that really makes it look like I did everything right. And the insurance company was just acting recklessly with regard to its decision that you get no coverage. Really, the reason why they're doing that is because they want to save money and not because the policy commands that it be paid. So I find an expert who's trained in claim handling experience. Sometimes that can be a law professor who teaches insurance law. You reference law. Mm. Sometimes that can be an insurance industry expert who's looked at thousands of claims over a long uh, period. Sometimes it can be uh, an attorney who's handled many, many cases involving similar scenarios looked at policies, is very familiar with the applicable laws governing what you're supposed to do. 
And that person looks at all the facts and decides whether or not reasonable claim handling conduct was engaged in. And if not, then if the fact finder were to believe that this expert's analysis is correct, then damages beyond just the amount of the insurance policy can be awarded like double or treble damages and attorney fees. So that's the value of sort of having an expert like that and, you know, where they come from and (laughs) what they look at. Wow. Okay. So, so this can really get really, really drilled down into some nitty gritty detail. I mean, but you know, at the the experts get involved. They review everything. If it's going to trial, obviously, you depose these experts, right? Yeah. So okay. if uh, the matter goes to litigation, they're often deposed. The interesting thing is, I practiced in other jurisdictions for the first third of my career or so, mm-hmm. and the last jurisdiction I was in was Colorado. Colorado's rule is that any named expert can be deposed. In Massachusetts, if you're in Mm. state court, you have to get a court order in order to obtain the deposition of an expert. So they're deposed a little more often in other jurisdictions than they are in Massachusetts. But if the report of the expert has some areas in which you'd want to engage in some inquiry, or you'd want to investigate the uh, expert's background to know if they're really somebody who uh, should be believed because they're saying things that are based on Uh, true education, training, and experience, that type of thing. Things you Mm want to evaluate through a deposition, you can seek the right of the court to allow you to do that and engage in a deposition. So, But you're right, these matters can get involved. So you want to make sure that it's an appropriate matter to hire these sorts of experts because they do get expensive, but they can be very compelling to assist you in making your claim or your defense. Wow. Okay. So from the very beginning of a case, when a client comes to you with you know, an insurance claim, third-party insurance claim, which by the way, which do you handle more, third-party or first-party? Or is it about the same? About the same. You know, the third-party claims, I think, are a little bit more interesting under the law. There's more legal authority regarding third-party disputes. An example of a first-party dispute is that business loss that I had. Another example is a homeowner's claim. So Mm -hmm. let's say your house, uh, God forbid, burns down and you make a claim under your insurance policy And there are issues with regard to how the fire started. And let's say the insurance company takes the position there's no coverage, then you're going to need an attorney. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, however, the insurance company takes a position there's coverage, but there is a dispute over how much money should be paid to rebuild the home. Mm -hmm. And uh, public adjusters often get involved in those types of disputes. However, if it leads to a situation where you just can't resolve it, you need to go in front of an arbitration board, which is... Uh, process commanded under a homeowner's policy in Massachusetts, then you're going to need an attorney for that. Wow. Okay. So by the way, so is an insurance um, adjuster, is that another expert that you regularly keep in your, you know, on your speed dial? So public adjusters are non-attorneys and they can be used to testify in arbitrations, but oftentimes what they're doing is just sort of advocating for a homeowner to get the most money under a policy. Okay. But in first-party claims, a good example of a type of expert that are often used is a construction expert or an engineer. So let's say there's issues over how much it costs to fix this house after a water loss or a fire loss, and you need to have somebody in the know, either in the construction industry, to say, you know, here's how it's done, here's Mm -hmm. what it's going to cost, here's the materials involved, et cetera. Or if there are issues with regard to proper construction and loading and things like that, you'll want to have an engineering expert. So those are Good examples of types of folks who come into play in first-party claims. 
Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you very much for explaining the use of those experts in the litigation process and for detailing the differences between first and third party insurance claims and your role in such cases, as well as bringing in the experts and obviously the the amount of detail and time that it takes to get into a case like that. So just by the sounds of it, then I'm guessing that there are a lot of rules, a lot of particulars that need careful navigating because it doesn't sound like it's a one size fits all. It sounds like you need these experts. You have to go through the policy. You have to get somebody's narrative, somebody's story to really create a case based on that particular situation. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when you find an expert to talk about things that you want to have addressed in your claim, you got to make sure that the person is credible, uh, that they're well experienced in the particular dispute, and that they write a report that summarizes the applicable facts and that you can present to the other side. Now, if you're in litigation, the courts define that which has to be disclosed by an expert even beyond the pre-litigation process of an expert's report. So if you ask for things in discovery regarding previous testimony of the expert in order to bring out whether or not this person is, you know, biased one side or the other, because they've always testified this way in this type of case, you Mm -hmm. have to disclose that. There is often Mm -hmm. a lot of litigation over the question of experts' earnings. So Mm -hmm. let's say an expert is coming at you with a report that hurts your case. And you think the expert is saying these things because they're hired by this party that's your, your opponent, uh, a lot. And that opponent pays that expert a lot over the years. Wow. This expert's bias, he's going to want to say whatever's going to help a particular party hiring him. So you mm-hmm. want to produce, you want to seek information about the number of cases, how much money has been made by the expert. Those things are relevant. However, oftentimes it's not that easy to get at those things. And the expert will make the position that make the argument that those are delving too far into private concerns. If you're mm-hmm. seeking actual tax returns of the expert, That's very tough. I've rarely seen a court require an expert to disclose, say, personal taxes, partially because there's other types of income in those taxes, practice income, capital gains, all kinds of stuff. The information you're seeking is sort of buried in there. But on the other hand, you're unearthing everything about this person. So uh, it sounds like they would have an ulterior motive. Yes. So that's what you're getting at. But they say, well, I agree. That's a valid concern. However, the way you're trying to do it is so intrusive. It's just not kosher. So the court may very well agree with that defense. So that can be for another day, just the issue over how much you can delve into an expert's background and professional activities in order to bring out questions of bias with the concern of being too invasive as the opposing argument. Wow. Okay. Every time you're on the show, I'm more and more fascinated by, your, <laughs> by, by how you practice law. I really am. So now these related areas, you know, insurance claims, personal injury, These areas of law poise, I would think, Hallaby Law Group to possess a wide area of deep knowledge, just based on what you're saying. And there's obviously a wealth of information, a wealth of law, a wealth of work that goes into these cases. So it's not wrong of me to say that this is what makes your firm better and different because you have all these experts in your back pocket. You've sat on both sides of the table. It sounds to me like it's a pretty comprehensive area of law that you practice. Yeah, we do. So I've been involved in representing insurance companies and injured folks for over 25 years. I've been involved in the insurance disputes that we were alluding to outside of the negligence cases for that same amount of time. Mm -hmm. I've also worked with not only experts in those types of cases, but in other types of cases, employment cases, for example, Mm -hmm. uh, construction cases, which we alluded to a little bit in the 
first party insurance context where there's property damage, but oftentimes just breach of contract cases between contractors. And then also a police liability cases. So that's sort of how I started my career was representing the Denver Police Department when I was practicing in Colorado. Yep. So the firm I was with had the exclusive contract with Denver to provide their civil defense in civil rights alleged violations involving the police. So things like speed chases where a felon is fleeing and the police, you know, engage in pursuit. And uh, there might be an accident in the course of that because we're talking about, you know, vehicles going high speeds on the roadway, wrongful arrests, excessive force, jailhouse conditions. Excessive force was the biggest thing from, you know, the way in which somebody is subdued to, you know, shootouts. So it's a very dramatic fact patterns that I've seen over the years. And the types of experts that uh, we would use in those types of cases would be police liability experts and use of force experts, training experts firearms, things like that. And uh, yeah, that's uh, probably a whole show on its own, as well as, (laughs) of course, damages experts. If somebody did suffer injuries from alleged police misconduct, then you get into those same questions of, well, what are the residual effects of the injury and how is that going to impact somebody's ability to work and how long would these problems go on for things like that that are addressed by the physician. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Well, all of that is fascinating. You know, I'd love to have you back on the show. So, but before we sign off, can you remind our listeners where you're located, how they can find you? Sure. John Hallaby and our firm is Hallaby Law Group. We're located in Hingham Square, 14 Main Street in Hingham. Our office phone is 781-749-0909. And my email is John Hallaby, J-O-N-H-A-L-A-B-Y at hallabylegal.com. Okay, and your website address, please. www.hallabylegal.com. Okay, very good. Well, John, thank you so much for the privilege of your time this morning and for sharing with us your story. I, I really mean it sincerely when I say I'd love to have you back again sometime. Does that sound good? That's sure, can do? sure. No, I enjoy these quite a bit. Good. It's always fun to talk about some of the things that uh, we do, and it's good to have an audience that uh, is appreciating it. Yeah, absolutely. The depth of practice that you delve into, I just find fascinating because it just seems like on the surface, okay, it's insurance. Okay, fine. But there's clearly more to it. So anytime I'd love to have you back, we can talk more about it, more cases, uh, the type of cases that you're interested in because of those cases quickly. Tell me who your ideal client is. Sure. So we represent policyholders in these insurance disputes. They can be individuals, they can be businesses. We represent insurance companies as well. I've handled matters for insurers over the years. These days, I'm doing more for the policyholder. So when it comes to the other matters that I was talking about, Mm -hmm. employment disputes, we represent management, but these days we're often representing employees. So folks who have been discharged because of uh, age, Number one, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a medical condition, but persons who feel like their employers have wronged them in the workplace and have suffered uh, negative consequences to their career as a result. Okay. Well, very good. All right. Well, maybe the next time that you're on the show, we can talk some more about that in greater detail. So again, thank you so much for your time today. It was great to have you back. Before we conclude, I'd like to thank my producer, David Yass, podfather extraordinaire of the Boston Podcast Network for making this show available on podcast outlets everywhere. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Kim Calvey. I'm your host of Communication Commandments with Kim Calvey. I'm also the owner of Boston Edits, LLC. My email address is kim at bostonedits.com, spelled just like it sounds. 
My website is www.bostonedits.com. I have a profile on LinkedIn under my name, Kimberly Calvi. Those are the best places to find me. But if you Google Boston Edits, I take up the entire first page, the search engine results page. Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Have a great day.